Welcome everyone to the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. An American woman has run 1423 for 5K. Canadian man who never won an NCAA title has run 1247 for 5K. An American man has run 18.90 for, well, not 200 meters, but we thought it was 200 meters. Allison Felix is running super fast. Is there something wrong with her wind gauge? We're down to one marathon major. The Chicago Marathon has been canceled. We've got a great interview with Molly Seidel, the woman who'd never run a marathon before and made the Olympic team. Nick Simmons is being canceled. Renato Canova, thread of the week, email of the week. Guys, welcome to the podcast. This is Let's Run.com co-founder Weldon Johnson, joined as always by a staff writer, Jonathan Galtz, and the controversial Rojo. Hey, guys. Uh, I'm glad we got some results to talk about because... When I logged on to our Google Doc with the show rundown this week, the very first agenda item was John's dating life. And I'm just like, why is this even up here, let alone item number one? So I think we need to start with the Fast Times last week produced by the Bauman Track Club, led, as Weldon mentioned, by Shelby Houlihan and Mo Ahmed. Robert, what was your reaction to that meet? Before Robert jumps in, I will plug, we also have a bonus podcast coming with Shelby Houlihan and... Also soon, this could be coming this week, let'srun.com. We don't even have a name for this thing yet. Let'srun.com Elite, let'srun.com Supporters Club, Special Club, VIP. If you want to be a member, early access, email me because we want our most hardcore supporters and listeners to check this out first. So, hey, we could even give you know members access to the interviews first. But if seriously, if you're interested and you want to kind of give us input on this enhanced let's run.com, send me an email at wejo at let's run.com. And we'd love you to sort of be sort of beta testers of this extra let's run. All right, so Robert, I'll pose it to you again. We had some really fast times out in Portland by the Bauman Track Club, Mohamed 1247, and then Lopez Lemong 1258 behind him. Then on the women's side, Shelby Houlihan 1423, Carissa Schweizer 1426. What stood out to you from that meet on Friday night? Well, I guess all of it did. It was you know, very impressive, both in the men's and women's race. I think it's best for me to approach this race by taking you through my mindset as I followed it. I was, I was on vacation last week. I was about to go to sleep. I realized, wait, this race is on. So I followed the splits, and I, I really tried to think. I was going to even post a, a prediction on the message board. I, I tried to think about like what, what I expect to happen here. My big take on the women's was I was very happy that they went under 14.30. As it was going on and they were running this 14.35 pace, I'm like, if she gets the, breaks her own American record and doesn't doesn't break 14.30, I'm not going to be thrilled. But when, when the time seemed way under that, you know, I, I was very happy by that. But before the women's race, I was really debating. I assumed, you know, instinctively that Houlihan would win this thing, crush the American record, etc. But Weldon's argument in our podcast last week about look, Schweizer beat her in the three K. She's more of a long distance runner. So I, I was I was having that debate to myself. But I'm like, you know, if you made me predict right before the race, I would have said Houlihan, I think, but I think I was a little bit surprised by the time, how impressive it was. But the other thing, moving to the men's race, before the women's race went off, I thought to myself, why are the women I, I checked the weather. And I was like, it was a little bit warm, like mid-70s, right? But it was going to be like 69, like an hour later. So it kind of reminded me of the Nico Young thing. I'm like, is this going to be too hot? Remember, it was high 70s there. So, but I'm like, wait. I'm like, this isn't amateur hour. This isn't high school hour. There's no way Jerry's running this time trial unless it's, if it's too hot. So, uh, and I looked at the dew point. It was 54. I'm like, okay, that's good for running. 
But I did think to myself, wait, it's going to be cooling off significantly in the next hour. Why are the men running second? I think I even posted that on the message board. I'm like, could we see something special? Because I knew last year the guys had run like 13 minutes. So I was like, well, the difference between 13 minutes and the American record of 12.53 isn't that far. So in the back of my head, I did think, is it possible the American record could go to I didn't really think about Ahmed. I think in hindsight, we should have realized Ahmed was going to do something big. I mean, last year, he basically rabbited from the front a 13 flat 5,000. So when he's getting the benefits of the rabbits, why wouldn't he run significantly faster than that? Now, 1247 is obviously incredibly impressive. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, I knew Mohamed was going to win this race. Clearly, he was, I mean, he got bronze medal at the World's Championships last year in the 5K. And like you said, he rabbited 4,600 meters of that, the one where Woody Kincaid ran 1258. So not surprised that he won, but yeah, sub 1250, becoming, you know, going into the top 10 all time in the 5,000, that certainly surprised me. But uh, I got to say, it was a thing of beauty watching him that last mile actually both last mile for him and for Houlihan were both really awesome but watching Mo just grind it down he went 61 60 59 57 for the last four laps and he's he's not a guy known as a speed merchant but obviously he has a good enough kick to you know close for a bronze medal at the world championships he did outkick Jakob Ingebrigtsen over the last lap but I, I just more think of him as a guy who can hit a hot pace and then just sort of grind from a ways out. And some people actually compared it a little bit to Bekele in the 2008 Olympic final with some of his last splits. Because I think Mo's last, his last 1600 was 358 and his last 2K, I think, was right around five flat. So it, obviously not it wasn't on the level with that 08 Olympic final by Bekele, which I think is the greatest 5,000 ever run. But the way he just grinded it from a long way out from the front, I thought was very impressive. Whoa, 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 wait. Let's don't put Ahmed in the same sentence as Bekele. That's disrespectful to the king. The question I have for you guys about these races, people who actually watched it, both of you guys watched it, was there any doubt that Houlihan was going to win this race? I mean, Schweizer was close. Like, was it in doubt all the way to the last lap? The penultimate lap, Schweizer tried to pass her twice. She moved up and she got basically level on the back straight and then again with about... 500 to go and i was thinking like she could be the but shelby really really didn't want to get past and then on the last lap it was game over i mean shelby just took off but the there was definitely doubt in the penultimate lap you could see schweizer sort of going up but once she didn't get around then i was like uh shelby's got more in the tank yeah i mean they're only what three seconds apart so there's a little doubt for sure but you know the final 100 meters n- nothing was in question and I was looking up some stats on Ahmed and like, wait, yeah, wait, Bekele and Ahmed, like I didn't hear exactly what was said. Can we please not go there? I was looking, I I don't think we give Mo enough credit for how good he is because he got third at Worlds last year. But like his best finish ever from what I can tell on a Diamond League meet is only fourth. So third at Worlds was a step for him, up for him last year. And there was no racing this year. He hasn't had any opportunity to prove himself. And maybe with Woody Kincaid running... I say 13 flat last year, but he ran, what, 12.58? <laughs> Should we be that surprised that Mo went under? But he crushed, I mean, 12.47 is so fast. The last 1,600 was just so impressive. I mean, when this thing went down and Houlihan and Schweizer ran so fast, I was just like, wow. And then the men started, and, and it took me to about halfway through the race, and I'm like, oh, wait, they're going to crush 13 minutes. Like, if Then I kind of like, well, I guess if Woody Kincaid did it, like... These guys should do even better, but when it ended up at 12.47, you just don't see those times very often. 
Well, I think what's interesting here, you don't, you know, mentioning Mo maybe not getting enough credit. One of the things is he was, this got brought up on the message boards. How did Mo Ahmed never win an NCAA title? He's now the 10th fastest human in history. He's the fastest in terms of 5K PRs to ever come through the collegiate system. And yet his best finish in NCAAs was third as a senior in the 10K. And some people were on there saying, this shows you Mick Burns a bad coach. You know, he, he's lost the program at Wisconsin once, you know, Schumacher left. And, you know, I totally disagree with that point. And I think Robert Robert's usually a, a rant expert. So I'm going to let Robert sort of unload here. But I've got some data to back you up on this as well, Robert. Rojo's rant. My God, this, this message board thread angered me and, and, and pissed me off. Um, first of all, I, I think Jerry's an amazing coach, but I also love McBurn. When he was at Iona, he was great to me at, at Cornell. One of, he taught me a favorite saying as a coach, if you're coaching, we want some advice. You can't want it more than your athletes. Very important. But guys, so this person starts the thread saying Mohamed never won an NCAA title. What the hell were his coaches doing in college? You know, well, guess what? I'll turn it on you. There's another person that never won an NCAA title. They ended up getting fourth in the Worlds, very similar to Mohamed, who's now getting third in the Worlds, fourth in the Olympics. This person also broke 13 flat. They ran 12.58 in the 5,000. But this person was also coached by who? Jerry Shoemaker. Who am I talking about? Matt Tegenkamp. Matt Tegenkamp never won NCAAs. Does that mean Jerry Shoemaker's a a bad college coach? Matt Tegenkamp never ran fast in college. Not that fast. Mohamed was a guy that was running 27.30, which is basically the exact same time that Galen Rupp ran in in college, right? And was ninth in the worlds before he graduated in the 10,000 in college. And then, you know, runs 13.18 immediately after graduating from college. So, uh, <laughs> you know, why didn't he win an NCAA title? It wasn't because Mick Byrne is not a damn good coach. When Jerry Schumacher was coaching, there was a lot, there weren't 15 teams going all in a distance like there are, there, there's, there is now. You know, th- there's so many more teams that are trying to be good at distance. You've got UNC, Virginia, NAU, Syracuse, all these teams. Back then, there was only three or four handful of teams. There was Arkansas, Stanford, you know, Wisco. There was like three or four. Now there's like 10 that are going all in on distance. So the t- talent's d- diluted. But we we can get into this. I mean, was Tegan Camp terrible for not winning an NCAA title? Why didn't he win one? Well, 2004, he lost to Robert Cheserit. Bernard Lagarde's brother, who used to wipe the floor of everybody, named Dathan Ritzenheim. He was second. Matt Tegenkamp was third. Louis Lucchini, he made an Olympic team, right? He was fourth. No shame there. Indoors one year, he lost to Selinski and Peter Kosgai. Outdoors his senior year, he lost to Ryan Hall and Ian Dobson, Nick Willis. Oh, what a shame to lose to those guys. And if you look at Mohamed, John, you've probably got the stats. It's very similar. Let's look at Mohamed. Who did he lose to? Was what twenty fourteen? John, when was his last year of college? So yeah, his last his senior year was twenty fourteen. He got third in the ten k that year, and he lost to Edward Cheserak, who's a stud, and Shadrach Kipchirchir, who is now a twenty seven o guy. So yeah, so so you lose to the greatest, arguably the greatest college distance runner ever, and a guy that's run twenty seven flat. What a shame! And then uh, in the five thousand that year, he lost to Lowey L- or uh, yeah, Lowey Lang who had run 13 flat the year before, and also Cheserick. Now, he also did lose to Dunbar, Jenkins, and a few other people. But, you know, 
The year before that, he was losing to Kenny Kithuka, who was pretty damn good. We don't need to break down every single one of his college races. He was a pretty damn good college runner. Mick Burns doing a great job at Wisconsin in my book. Like, look at Morgan McDonald. You can't deny that success Burns had as a collegiate coach at different things. So, like, you could argue he set him up to have a great success after college. Like, he had pretty good collegiate success, and now he's running great as a pro. Like, isn't that what you want from a college coach? That's what I would say, absolutely. And also, you know, not to keep tooting Mick Burns' horn, but, you know, he co- he coached Wisconsin to the NCAA cross title in 2011. He coached Ollie Hoare to a 2018 NCAA 1500 title. I mean, he's, he's obviously, I don't think the idea that Mike Burns is a bad coach and he's screwing these guys up is, I just think, is totally false. How many NCAA cross titles did Jerry win at Wisco? One. And how many has Mick won? One. So Jerry only won one and he had a team with Stolinski, Teagan Camp. Uh, Canadian dudes. I mean, come on. (laughs) No. Oh, I forgot though. But part of coaching is recruiting. Yes. Now that I've calmed down. Well, okay. There's another aspect of this Mohamed run that I want to get to though. And look, we've been sort of quiet on this topic for a few months because there hasn't been much news on it, but it's the shoes guys. It's got to be the shoes. And I I don't think, no, I I think that's a little unfair to say it's got to be the shoes because I think Mohamed would have run pretty damn fast no matter what he was wearing. But I think the shoe aspect is important here because this this tweet came out from Dan Lilo, who is Mohamed's agent, after the meet. And he said, for those interested, the Spikes Ahmed wore last night at the Dragonfly, which I'm told met the April 30th for sale deadline from World Athletics and have a plastic, plastic not carbon fiber plate. Now, I have no doubt these shoes are legal in terms of like the construction of the shoe. That that's I, that's not really something I'm worried about. But I think it brings up something that Dan sort of mentioned here is this April 30th deadline. Now, if you remember back in in January, World Athletics they introduced amendments to their shoe guidelines. And here's what it reads in their new amended rules. Any type of shoe must be reasonably available to all in the spirit of the universality of athletics. To meet that requirement, any shoe that is first introduced after 30th April 2020 may not be used in competition unless and until it has been available for purchase by any athlete on the open retail market, i.e. either in-store or online, for at least four months prior to that competition. Any shoe that does not beat this requirement is deemed a prototype and may not be used in competition. Now, Dan is saying, he's told, these shoes met this April 30th for sale deadline. I don't see... Look, maybe that's true. I don't know, quite frankly, because... To me, these shoes, the Dragonfly, Nike has never officially introduced them. I, they don't appear on sale anywhere on the internet. It's I just want to know how is this shoe meeting this requirement? It doesn't seem like they are. Well, these rules were, I mean, they were kind of crafted to allow the other companies to try to catch up to Nike before the Olympics so people could run on the Olympic marathon. But shoe, but this, look, let's be, let's be clear. This shoe is not reasonably available to all in the spirit of universal athletics. It's clearly not. The rule does not say, John, that it has to be on sale. It has to be introduced before it's still. It wasn't introduced. Please show me any evidence of this shoe ever being introduced to anyone. I agree with you. And if you announce it, that doesn't mean it's introduced. This shoe, this is clear to me. This shoe is not available to all in the spirit of athletics. This record should not be ratified. He ran 1248. This shoe will be allowed to be used next year. I'm not saying that whatever, but this shoe, this record should not be validated. Nike, I'm tired of this crap by Nike and, you know, exploiting the rules and just doing the, the most they can get away with. Actually, he ran 1247, but I agree with you. 
they need if they're going to have these rules and now maybe going forward it'll be different because it'll be very clear the shoe has to be on the market easily purchased for four months to be allowed so maybe this is a transition year but i'm really glad i mean i shouldn't say this i'm really glad the olympics aren't taking place but the olympics would be starting up here in a week essentially for the track portion i think and we would have had these shoes the Nike athletes presumably racing in the shoe that no one else could have bought. Like it would have just been a huge controversy. Maybe the Nike marketing people would love it, but the the rules are clear. We want stuff to be universally available, and maybe the scientists will come out and show, show if one shoe has an advantage over another. But in the interview, the special podcast coming with Shelby Houlihan, she talks about. Like one, she runs in a very old shoe, John. Like you know the name of it. It's from a couple years ago. She keeps running in it. She's like, I like this shoe. The people at Nike are telling me to run the other shoes, but then she sort of also admits, like, I know there's no debate, there's no doubt about this shoe. So you know, I'm kind of putting my own words into what she said. But part of it is like, you know, I ran fourteen twenty three, and there's not a single question about how it was done. It was just old school. So shout out to Shelby. And I mean, shout out to Mo for running 1247. But with new technology entering shoe markets, you can expect times to keep getting faster and faster and faster. And it's kind of crazy to think that Bekele ran 1237 <laughs> 16 years ago. Or if you look at the all time list, Gabriel Selassie ran a 1241 in 1997, a 1239 in 1998. It wasn't about the shoes back then. Now, some of you skeptics may say, hey. <laughs> It's not about the shoes. What's it about? And it, we talk about that with Shelby, with Shelby as well because people love to speculate about drugs and technology. So, are we all in agreement that it's it's a JV move for Omed to be wearing these shoes? I don't know. JV move is the right word, and I I don't want to single out Mo because he wasn't the only one. Like Carissa was wearing a pair of shoes that I don't I mean, think she was wearing. The Air Zoom Victory, which were announced, but also haven't seen them for sale anywhere. Pretty sure Lopez Lemong was in the Dragonflies too. I think the bigger issue here is World Athletics. If you're going to have a shoe rule banning prototypes, essentially, that's the aim of this. You can't allow companies to sell 10 pairs of the shoe online to some super elite subscriber base for about 10 minutes and say that that meets the requirement of being available to all. And Nike is not the only company that's doing this. I'm pretty sure Saucony did it with their new shoes at the trials. They sold it at a local Atlanta running company. I just think what needs to be clear is you can't have the companies, if you're going to have a shoe rule in place like this, please enforce it. Don't let the companies manipulate their way around it. Well, the good news is, with the Olympics being canceled, hopefully we have them next year. We won't have this crap. We won't have this debate because everyone will have the four months rule for next year. That'll be good. This kind of reminds me of the whereabouts failures. We shouldn't be having this debate in the future. We should have GPS and phones when you're doing the drug testing. There should be no doubt. Same thing here. There should be no doubt. You know. And I'm going to speak up for Mo. There's no way it's a JV move by him. If anyone's to be criticized, it's by Nike for suggesting he wear these shoes it's not the athlete's responsibility to check and make sure it's kosher if 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 your sponsor is giving you these shoes and say you can wear them i think he's going to wear them so like you can perform best in these things so very good point weldon because he's going to want to wear these shoes next year in the olympics so i don't have a problem with him wearing it i just think that come on like i mean i have a problem with him being ratified but i wouldn't really care if i was him because he's going to be allowed to wear these shoes next year and i 
Uh, I would always know, hey, I ran 1247. If they want to ratify or not, we all know I ran it. That's kind of why I'm on COVID. But I do think moving forward, they've got to be enforcing these rules in a major, major way. But they really shouldn't even let – like you can't have – let's say next year, John and Weldon, you can't let someone even start the starting line. They, they need to have a list of everyone in the final. What shoes are you wearing? I mean, it's going to be hard. How do you enforce these rules? Like, is, is are the experts on the line supposed to know what that is? Because imagine if, if a med wore, wore a shoe that was illegal and then wins a gold medal. Then what do you do? You invalidate it six months later? I mean... No, you, you have someone like the implement weigh in for a shot put and that sort of thing at the start of the competition. You present, you tell uh, the Olympics, these are the shoes I'm going to be wearing. They have a panel or something that knows all the shoes that are available. And they double check before the race, you know, to make sure that those are the shoes you're wearing. I, I don't think it's okay. super hard to enforce. Let's 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 move on to a, a few other things that have come out of this race. And a message board poster, and th- this was big. If Moeller Man, you know, it's kind of like if Woody Kincaid ran twelve fifty eight, then of course Moeller Man can run twelve forty seven. Well, if Moeller Man ran twelve forty seven, what can Joshua Chapter guy run in Monaco? Can he run under the world record? And to me. I think he might be able to. Why? What did this race show? Assuming the pacing is good. This race showed you how critical the pacing is. Why don't we get fast times in the Diamond League? Because the pacing is erratic. It's terrible. People don't want to go for it. They're going for money, etc. The, the, the pacing in this thing was superb. And then he hammered it home. And if you remember, John, a few years ago, 2018, Salomon Borrego ran 1243 in Brussels at the end of the year. Why did he run so fast? Because the he had was out there. Kajelta hammering that pace at 60 points, 61 at the end. Now, that race, I went back and watched as much as you can watch online. They were showing a little bit of pole vault at the beginning. They went out super, super fast, sub 60. They went out in 231. But if you look at the splits at like 3K, it was very similar to this Mohamed race. I mean, they're just a little bit faster. I mean, John raved how Ahmed closed in, in five minutes. Well, Borrega closed in 459. I mean, he, his last his last mile was faster. His last 2000 was faster, and his overall time was 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 faster. 55 on the last lap. I think Ahmed only ran 57. So, but if, if you watch that race, it was a super fast start. But then by 3K, the times were, were only a couple seconds apart, and it was just very consistent. And then bam, 55. And they had now they had better weather there. Temperature was cooler. It was like I think in the 50s or 60s versus the 70s. But the key, what, what do the two races have in common? Very consistent pacing in the middle of the race. You know, you don't let it lag in that fourth kilometer. Yeah, I think there are a couple of things about Cheptegei in this possible world record attempt on August 14th in Monaco. One is, has what's his training been like? Because we don't, I mean, he's, we just don't really know. He hasn't raced since well, What do you mean, but he, John, he's, he's not going to show up and try to go for a world record if, he, if the training's good. Okay. And two, I think you're going to go there. We're going to have the wave light technology, right? Oh, I wasn't even thinking about that, but I was. That sort of fits in with what your point. My point was basically like, yes, the pacing. That's going to be a huge part of it, and that should make it easier. I mean, if they, ha- I don't know if Monaco has the wave light pay- technology that trap, but if they really want to go for this record, they need to install it because I think they that's need. The best if way. they have it, I think he can do it or, or, or get close to it, or at least scare it. Because what you see so much in the Diamond League is you've, you got to be a supreme athlete to, to be able to pace these guys at you know seven forty five for three thousand. So m- most of those runners aren't used to doing that, and it's very hard. They oftentimes go out too hard. They're, they're erratic. But if you have a laser to follow, I think it's much simpler to do. And I also think a lot of these athletes that are the, are the rabbits are used to training in altitude. They're Kenyan or, or Ethiopians. You know, they're not necessarily used to hitting a certain split. They're probably going more for feel 
as compared to some of these, you know, that, that was one of the things I think that was perfect in this race is you've got these, you know, you had a, a fa- it reminded me of Kipchoge. You had a, uh, a slew of pacers who were all super talented running an even pace for Ahmed. Speaking and- of Monaco, so this meet is one month from yesterday, August 14th. It's going to be a real meet as of now. I mean, people are going to fly in there, compete against each other. And did you guys know you can buy tickets? Like, they're going to have fans. This is super encouraging for me if this thing goes down. I'm confused by this, though, Weldon. They announced Noah Lyles as a competitor in this meet. How is Noah Lyles getting to Monaco for this meet? I, I don't quite understand it. Like, I don't think there's a direct flight into Monaco. I assume you have to go through a European Union. Co- like, how how are they proposing Noah Lyles gets there? Is he going to have to quarantine for two weeks? Like, how is he going to run in this meet? I mean, he gets on a plane, he flies to Paris and takes a car or train down to Monaco. Yeah, he's an American. Good luck getting into Paris. Oh, well, that's true. My neighbors are French, and we can't go over there. Yeah. How's this going to happen? Well, for the American athletes, I think the hope would be that the travel restriction is lifted by then, or there might be... I assume certain people like who are considered essential. I'm sure there's some flights going between the U.S. and France right now. Like, they're Maybe he can get on a special plane, but most likely, unless I, he probably won't be at the meet. But if they let people from European countries in, and it'd be great to see a track meet if it could be done safely with fans and competing at the same place. Hope really gives some hope for 2021 because, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with the Olympics. And one thing we're seeing now is a lot of places in the U.S. that didn't have COVID are picking up. Well, Japan's been one of the huge success stories with COVID, so they're going to be worried that if letting in outsiders a year from now. But one thing that we haven't talked about is the weather in Monaco. It's much warmer in, in Monaco in August. It's you know usually around 80s at 8 o'clock at night versus 70s, which is in Portland. I don't think that's as conducive to breaking the world record. Oh, that's not good meters. then. Damn it. I'm even going to watch it now. I mean, I think that's one big takeaway from these Portland time trials, the Woody Kincaid thing. If the pacing is perfect... Just one, it shows like what a great job the Pacers did. They're very consistent. Robert, you're watching it. You're just, you know, when they're on 1430 pace, you're going to figure they're going to 1435. You figure they can kick at the end, and they really picked it up. The men's race, Ahmed sort of just did it on his own the last mile. And but great pacing, great weather, you you can get these tremendous times. And maybe that brings us to the message board. What I think should be the message board thread of the week. And we haven't hyped this up. I'm going to write an article on this, I think, because I think a lot of people may not have known what it was. It just said the thread title was a very simple question. So most people probably aren't going to even click on that. And the author of the thread is famed Italian coach Renato Canova in Let's Run.com message board poster. And essentially Canova, he's coached like – Many of the top African stars, Italian stars. I mean, the names are legendary. And people are always like accusing him of having athletes who dope or they must be doping because they run so fast. And he's like, look, top African athletes are so talented they don't need to dope. He starts off this thread. After the results of Houlihan, Schweizer, Mohamed, and Lopez Lamang, do you continue to not think possible running under 1430-1305 without doping? Were we finally able to understand that 90% of the reason for top performances is a correct fast pace, something that always happened 
with El Grush and Bekele, who became the best rabbits for other athletes. The progression of Houlihan is clear. It continues on. You know, he points out Schweizer never went under 15 flat until last year. That's crazy. Now she runs 14.26. He points out Mohamed's best performances were always in major championships, which aren't fast races. Now you put him in perfect time trial conditions, and boom, 12.47, boom, 14.23. Or he concludes at the end, or do we continue to have the stupid idea that these results are produced by doping? Or that, or that the two most important factors, individual talent and training methodology and the pace during the competition. I mean, I think it's a good point, but I wasn't necessarily disagreeing with him to begin with. I don't. I look at some of these fast times, like the Par- I think of the Paris Diamond League back in 2012, where all those guys ran out of 1250. Do I think it was because they're all doping? No, they got in a perfect race environment and they had guys to chase. Like, I I don't think I look back at some of those times. Obviously, some of these guys are doping, but yeah, I think when you have someone like El Rouge and Bekele up front leading people along everyone else is going to be able to run essentially to the maximum of their ability. Now, there are still some questions about the guys at the very front of those packs and how they get so fast. And I think it will be foolish to ignore those questions. But in general, uh, yeah, I I do agree with the point he's making. Well, John just mentioned someone who I do think was a doper, but I won't say who. But no, Canova's argument is kind of interesting in the sense of you know, you've seen tons of Kenyans can be popped for EPO recently, many of them testing positive, and yet he still thinks, you know, look, there's no he, – he basically says there's no reason for the very best athletes to do it. Some people are like, this is the dumbest argument ever. But I think his argument is like you can't be better than, than perfection. Like the EPO helps you get more oxygen into your system, and you can only have so much, you know, you can only run so fast. And if you're perfect, it doesn't really help. Now – he admits that it, it could help like lesser athletes and particularly athletes that are lazy and don't want to train for like four or five months. Um, then he also has an interesting post about why it would help more in cycling. It's about the recovery because you have day after day after day of, comp- of competition. So I definitely think it's kind of, uh, you know, like, and he also thinks it would definitely help people who are sea level trained athletes and, and they don't live at altitude. So, you know, my brother got a lot better. Well, then you got a lot better when you moved altitude. And he would even drive up high in the mountains to try to spike his, you know, his blood levels and stuff like that. So I don't know. I mean, I, I do think his main point stands of yes, we can see what, how much perfect pacing the perfect rabbit does it. I mean, I've said this before. You've seen. John, I've used this argument. Ben True ran 13.02 one year at Stanford, right? And he's won one other time, I think, under 13.05. I don't know where it was. But I'm like, well, look, what would the Africans do if they were in this perfectly rabbited Stanford race? And this is basically what we saw at Bowerman. We saw a Stanford-type race with the tip-top American-Canadian pros. So if you put you know, the Africans, I think that they could run just like that. But – I. I think when you go through like these logical arguments, they don't satisfy either side of the equation because there was an interesting post, you know, by Premier Numero Uno in that thread, and he was saying, "This is nonsense." There's a very simple reason athletes continue to take PEDs like EPO because it works. We've heard every garga every garbage argument for world-class athletes being clean from Lassie Viren's goat milk, the Jamaican sprinters just being honest, hardworking PPO, EPO not working on athletes at elevation. It is all a smoke screen of misinformation. Over and over again, the top athletes continue to get popped 
over and over again, they've toned down stupidity to continue to associate with dopers or agents, coaches slash known to push drugs and athletes. For the longest time, we were told there was no doping in Kenya. But as soon as any out of competition starting in that country, which is still minimal compared to other countries, they began started getting popped left and right. So, you know, it's kind of interesting. And then he criticizes Let's Run. Let's Run is always always verbally taking a hard anti-doping stance. But why they continue to promote a coach from a country with a rotten tradition of cheating in sports, I guess he means Italy, who moved to a country to train athletes where no testing existed is beyond me. I'm not questioning his coaching credentials. He's extremely knowledgeable about running. So was Alberto Salazar. Okay. There's no nuance, right? People want to make it all black and white. Does doping exist? Of course it does. I don't agree with everything Renato says, but I'm totally open to the possibility that people can run this fast without doping. I mean, Canova's got another post here. He's like, these are the idiots using useless doping with the only effect to destroy their career. His whole take is like, doping doesn't really help top Kenyans. I think that's just not a good argument. Um, but he's got other posts in here, and he's like, look, I've coached several athletes who've run between 12.48 and 12.59, and many of them were, quote, not top talented athletes. You know, he, he distinguishes between the Bikilis of the world, the Kipchoge's of the world, and the guys who are just following a pace behind them. Um, you know, and pointing out how in fast races, like the Rhodesia race, the Bikili race, when guys run super fast, everybody runs fast behind them. So, the point for him is like I point out several times, quote, that the PB of an athlete doesn't mean too much, and I think that's kind of true. Like if you get in the right conditions, you can run very fast, and these guys ran very fast. But Mohamed's got a bronze medal; he's very good. Shelby Houlihan has run three fifty four. I mean, John, the whole time we were talking to her, I was thinking it was like three fifty seven. She's run three fifty four and fourteen. 23 now. I mean, I think they're now showing themselves to be top tier. And same thing with Carissa Swiger. Yeah. No, I, I actually think Canova, I do think some of his arguments are persuasive to me. I think that some of these top times can be run without without drugs. But I do think some of the top runners were on drugs. But, well, then I, I love that post about how you can have a very fast PR and be a totally different class athlete. I mean, I, I saw that all the time at the college level. You'd have a, a there would be kids that ran 404 in the mile that I didn't think were any good. There'd be other kids that ran 404 in the mile that were dominating the conference meet. And that sounds weird, but, you know, it's basically what you have in the, at the end of the la- you know, at the end of the race. But, you know, and, and there was an interesting thread in that post about, you know, again, two ways to look at it. This one person, um, R.E.K. Runner, defended Canova by saying, like, look, go back to the pre-EPO era. Look how fast Angry Christensen ran. I mean, she was in the 1430s, right? Way back in the 80s before EPO. And he'd only counted like 10 women that had run faster than that. 1437 and 1986. So, you know, he's like, EPO came out. They're not running that much faster. That being said, one of the very first articles I ever wrote on Let's Run. So I'm saying I'm playing it both ways. John likes to say I do play it both ways because I do. May, I'm looking this up, May 23rd, 2000. Someone write this down. Well, we always say we're going to link to this stuff in the show notes and we don't do it. Face the facts, EPL users likely widespread. And all I did in that article was I looked at the world record progression from 1969 to 1989 when EPL was invented, and then from 1989 to 1999, and it went way, way, way up. Now, you can say that the sport went professional in the Africans were coming in, and maybe that's the reason for it. And, and that could be, but... It would be interesting, though, if I actually did this now, 
what, 20 years later? Because the records haven't come down that much, John, in the last 20 years. Come down so that much? If you, if you, no one's broken a 5K. The 1500 steeple 5K and 10K, none of those records have been touched in the last 15 years. They've all stagnated. Right. So so, so then the, the percentage gap change probably since EPL would not be that great. But of course, you could also say, well, they haven't changed much since the ABP was invented. So there's both ways to play it, folks. Not everyone's doping, but obviously some of them are. Obviously, I mean, one guy's sort of in there saying, you know, I think 25 to 50 percent of top athletes are doping. I don't know. You consider that small, very high number? I mean, it's sort of crazy because I think we would all admit, I think most of us would agree doping works and does help athletes. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. Canova would say these Kenyan guys are so talented they don't need to do it. Well, then why the hell are they doing it? It just doesn't make sense to me. All right. I think we should move on here. Uh, I want to talk about this other meet that happened last week, the Inspiration Games in Zurich. Now, well, really it was all over the world, but it was based out of Zurich. And specifically, the most interesting thing that happened here was Noah Lyles ran very fast, and then it turned out that he only ran 185 meters. Now, I was watching this live. I don't think you guys were, but I texted you when it happened. I said, Noah Lyles just ran 1890. Now, when I sent that, was there any part of you that thought he might have run that actually in the 200, or did you just think that's a made-up time that had to be something wrong? I figured something was wrong. I thought something was wrong, but there was part of me. I said, Bolt, what's his record, 1911 or 1919? I thought, well, I mean, didn't I? I was asking you last week on this very podcast, would he break his PR? That seemed reasonable to me. And then I thought, well... And I point out, he's the exact same age as Usain Bolt when he ran his world record. So I thought maybe it was like the, those meets in Florida normally have crazy wind. You know, this could be a Flojo situation where there's like an eight meter per second wind and then they cover up the wind gauge. But it seemed, it, that seemed like too fast. But I wasn't, again, I wasn't watching this race either. I just got your text. So I was started, I, I went right to my computer. Told my wife, you need to take the kid. This could have been a world record. Yeah, I, I, watched, I did watch it and Part, there was a small little part of me that was like, well, if everything lined up and he, they, cause earlier they had run into a big headwind in the hundred yards. And so I was like, I didn't think they flipped the track to run with the, to make it into the tailwind, but I thought, well, maybe they did and I missed something. And then if he was running really fast, because he just had this enormous lead almost immediately. And I, I, I was like, look, there's probably 99% chance this time isn't real, but. I definitely thought there was at least 1% chance that it was. Turns out he ran 18.90 and he started from the wrong marker. He actually only ran 185 meters and not 200. I wonder what marker that was. That was 15 meters up. There was an explanation. Flowtrack tweeted some explanation apparently from the head official that it was the right, he was at the right spot, but he was supposed to be running in like lane three. And then an official in Zurich gave like some remote they were like, no, you need to put it in lane five. I think they probably just put it, you know, they they put it. I mean, there's marks on the track. And first of all, like, it was cool that they had this meet, but how do they end up running into the wind? Like, there's no fans. There's no one paying spectators. So why would they just turn it around and run the other direction? Like, it's because they have Amara a and ti- The timing they- system probably is set up. How? What do you mean? Am- only amateur people can't move the timing system. Yeah, this, to me, is... a tight schedule? The cameras, Robert... They had the cameras on a certain side of the track. The cameras are going to be set up. It's for TV. But don't you have a weather? Don't you have dark sky? 
I th- I don't know. They they can tell exactly which way the weather's going to come, like the day beh- the wind's going to come a day ahead of time. I don't know. I don't blame them for that, really. I, I do totally blame them. Come on, people. It's like when you have a rabbit in a diamond league race, get the pacing right. When you have a the wind, get it right. Particularly when you're not have, you're gonna piss off the fa- paying fans. I did find it interesting because the organizers had all these calls beforehand talking, you know, they're very Swiss, like a very Swiss-German approach, like everything was going to be synchronized, and the guns would go off at the same time worldwide. And then meanwhile, like, we started the wrong starting line, and the guy runs 185 meters. I'm like, like, I just like, can we just get back to real track meets? Because this would, there's no way eight guys would line up at the wrong starting line at a real track meet. I'm just shocked that, like, Lyles or somebody there didn't realize it. All the officials there didn't realize, like, wait, this isn't the 200-meter start. But if the world's best 200-meter runner can do it, it just shows stuff can happen. So. I got to admit, I was impressed by the commentators because he was way ahead. They're like, he's coming off the turn. He's way ahead. Like, they did a very good job of commentating remotely and then being immediately skeptical of it. But the other thing I'm skeptical of is, John, this very podcast last week, you disparaged Allison Felix, America's most famous sprint star of recent eras, saying she had no chance in this race, and then she smokes Shawnee Miller Weibo by a lot. This seems suspect to me. I still can't make much sense of this. Please show me, tell me the times again. How fast did she run? How fast did the other women yeah. run? So here's what happened. Felix ran, this is 150 meters. She ran 16.81. Miller Weibo ran 17.15, and then... Majinga Kambunji, who was the bronze medalist in the 200 Worlds last year, ran 17.28. And the thing that makes this particularly strange to me and very suspect, like, I was surprised that Allison Felix won this race to begin with because, you know, based she's older, significantly older than the other two. And at this point in her career, you, you would think her days of running a fast 150 pretty much over. I mean, obviously, she has a good, she has the fastest 100 PR of any of these three, but it's from a while ago. But the the thing that really makes me question this is the wind readings because Kambunji had a 0.3 tailwind. Milliwebo, it was quite obvious from the videos we saw in the Lyles race and then also, you know, the 100-yard dash, there was a headwind when she was racing in Bradenton, Florida. She had a minus 0.25 headwind. But then they say that Felix's headwind, they also say Felix was running into a headwind of minus 2.6, which is even bigger than Milliwebo's. So that just doesn't square to me. It doesn't make sense how Felix could run a very fast time. This is actually the fifth fastest 150 ever on a curve, according to PJ Varsal. Now, obviously, this race doesn't run very much, but for her to smoke the two of them and have a near-identical wind as Mila Weibo, who we already saw was pretty fit based on what she ran in that showdown in O-Town meet, I don't know. I mean, Allison Felix, good sprinter, but... I, I just don't. I, either the wind was messed up, or the track was you know the track was sh- short, or something like that. I don't know. I just I, I'm skeptical that she could beat both of these women into a huge headwind. Could it just be that they're all in terrible shape, John? What did Shawnee Miller Weibo run before this? She had actually done something. Because when I'm looking at the all-time 150 meter marks on Wikipedia, obviously you have Flojo, who I assume was doping, running 16.10. But Shiny Miller Weibo, I mean, it was straight, but it was in the Boston games. You were there, John, 1623. I mean, that's almost a second faster than she ran. I know she had a, and that was into a 0.7 win. So you've got lots of times. I mean, 16.8 is, is significantly slower, 0.6 of a second. Now she's running into a headwind. But she didn't even run 16.8. I mean, she, that was Felix's time. Miller Weibo, I mean, 
she ran 22.61 again into a that was a 1.1 headwind and 50.52 for 400 on the same day that was on July 4th so five days before the inspiration games she's admitted she's not in peak shape but I don't know it's surprised to me that she would lose by that much to Felix if the wind was exactly the same which it basically was yeah but the more I think about it I think Felix's wind gauge seems weird but Milway was clearly not in shape and 22.6 John she's a 21.7 runner well it, it was into a 1.1 headwind though well, still, so take off 0. 0.2, 0. 0.3, whatever. Nah, I think this is more of maybe something's a little bit off in the wind. Timing. I mean, we, we, we can't trust these marks, but I don't think Miller Webb is in shape. So maybe Felix is doing a better job of training. I think that's a fair conclusion to reach. Certainly, it's possible she's in better shape than Miller Webb right now. But maybe the wind wasn't right, but like we got to assume she ran the right distance. It's still a very good run for her. I mean, Sprint Geezer in the forums is like, look, she's 34. Her stride is deceptive. Sometimes she doesn't look like she's running that fast, but he's like, I think she might make the relay teams in the 100 and the 400. So who knows? Maybe she's now with like a full year under her belt after the birth of her baby. We've seen a lot of resurgence from women sort of once they can get things straightened out. You know, coming back from a kid is very hard. So maybe she's kind of had like a bump up in performance. I wouldn't be surprised if she made the 400 team as an individual. Not at all. I expect her to make the relay team in the 400. Making the relay in the 100, I I don't know about that. But once you're on the, in the 4x4 pool, they can throw you into the 4x1 pool as well. So. All right, guys, let's move on. Where do we want to head? Do we want to talk about John's dating life? Our emails of the week. That comes from our email of the week. Crazy stuff I've learned on the message boards, the message board threads. The Chicago Marathon has been canceled. I think that's where we should go, John. Chicago's canceled. Not a shock, but the big question is we have one major remaining. The king is still standing. Yeah. The king is still living. The queen, too. It's a it's a male and female, the number one marathon in the world. Let's don't debate it. It's the best marathon at the elite level. They have the most money. And they're still standing. They've not canceled the race. Will the London Marathon be held in October? And if so, will it be a mass race or just an elite race? I think they have enough money. They're the only ones, obviously, with enough money. I think, well, Tokyo did it in in, in February to have an elite-only race. I'm going to say yes, there will be an elite race in London. I don't think there'll be a mass race. I I, I think there's no way there's a mass race because they're already saying they're considering – putting next year's edition in October 2021. So the idea that they're skeptical about having something in April, I just don't think they would be they would have a mass race in October. But I do think, you know, there's you can have some cautious optimism. I don't know if I honestly, I don't know. I'd just be guessing if I said that they were going to have an elite only race. But if any race was going to have an elite only super elite marathon, it would be London. And that's because they're more committed to their elite race than any of the other majors. I mean, I was doing my recap, my throwback Thursday, the 2002 London Marathon a few weeks ago. They spent $3 million, apparently, on assembling that field back in 2002. It's just like they have so much more money than all the other majors to spend on the elites that I think I wouldn't be surprised if they basically said like, hey, Kipchoge, Bekele, and your, these top, Garamu, all these African stars – get them together and say, hey, we'll put you on this you know, two-mile loop course and we'll have a bunch of safety restrictions in place and no spectators and just you guys show up and go at it. And if they, I think they can probably have a better chance of getting the funding together for that than the other majors. So 
I wouldn't be surprised if we had that. And if we do have that, that is a way to salvage the full marathon season, I think, for fans. People would be excited if they could still see Kipchoge and Bekele. But I, I think the concerns me is, and we didn't talk about this on the podcast, and I meant to, Kipchoge did like, are these guys going to be in shape? You know, Kipchoge did some virtual race the same day the in running team. I think Kipchoge and Bekele ran some part of some marathon. It was something for charity or something. But his time was like significantly the slower. Hell, Robert, are you really reading into some thing that he probably just jogged as a tempo for some virtual thing? This is the guy that gains weight significantly. And I think I'm wondering if he's going to be motivated. We need to. The, are they talking to the agents behind the scenes, John? Of course. Of course they're talking to the agents about this stuff. One of the things on the Molly Seidel interview, I think it comes up. People on the, when she after she made the Olympic team, some flight attendants recognized her, and they knew it was her first marathon. So they said, "Did you train for the race?" Uh, yes, you have to train for the race, and we're less than twelve weeks out from from this supposed date for for London. So unless they were going to put a, a different date even later, these people need to be pretty hardly tra- trained yeah, right now. Be, if, they, if that's their plan, they'll say, "Hey, get ready for it." You know, this is what's happening. And look, is Kipchoge in shape? Come on, Robert. This guy's always in shape. Every marathon, he's always healthy. He never has any issues. I have no doubt he'll show up and he'll be perfectly fine. Well, I'm wondering if Bekele's in shape. Bekele, well, that that is a legitimate question. If the, you know, given some of his, obviously he was amazing in Berlin last year, but given some of his performances before that, there is a question if he has all the races taken away from him. How dedicated has his training been during quarantine? I think that's a very fair question. Okay. So, guys, we may or may not get London, but one thing we do have this weekend, women's 10,000 in Boston. Check out the article on Let's Run. John, talk to Seidel, or we're going to talk to Seidel later. This Mo- wait, wait, wait. Let, let me just clarify but, here something. Uh, pronunciation. Uh, it's Molly Seidel, okay? Seidel like well, the vote. She must be good if I can't pronounce her name. That's good. That's a good sign. Flanagan, Flanagan, Shailene, Shalon. <laughs> Anyways, the question I have is, guys, you know, we've had Mohamed run fast. We've had the Bowerman run and run fast. But there's one Bowerman person that's healthy but hasn't run fast in his marquee event. Evan Jager. Who am I talking? Correct. When is the sub-8 attempt? That, that is what I'm hitting at now. When is Jager going to try to run a fast steeple? And what about these other BTC people? I know Jerry doesn't like to race the people, but there's no reason for all these people. Shelby is obviously in incredible shape. Ahmed's in incredible shape. Schweizer's incredible shape. These people need to be hitting it hard as hell over the next six weeks, eight weeks, time trials, 1500. Houlihan uh, needs to try to break the world record in the 1500. You know, if you can run 1420, you certainly, in my opinion, most guys that can run 1420 can run under 350. I mean, Sage Candidate, the ultra marathoner for me was like a 1430 guy. He could run like 14, 351 and he wasn't fast at all. So Houlihan should be able to run Robert, fast. Robert, I, want to see I, I don't want to burst your bubble here. We talked to Shelby, and she basically said they're shutting her season down the first week of August. She basically peaked with this 5K attempt, and she might do a couple other low-key things, but that was like the big jewel, and she's going to shut things down first week of August. Is this a joke? Jerry Schumacher, I have lost respect for you. I, I Oh, my God. You, you can't do like three weeks. Plan of- is to keep racing every 10 days. So I think you could get two more races in there, John. I think she didn't say be- anything about, yeah, but she wasn't like, no, next thing up, I'm going to go for the world record in the 15. She was basically like, this was the high point right here, which I think is fine. I'm just happy that we've got fit Americans running fast. Like, I don't look, would it be great to see her go after a world record? Sure. But it, she doesn't seem like, it seems like all the training was geared around this 5k American record, which she crushed. So I'm happy we saw that. I'm not going to try to get greedy here. I do want to see Jager in a steeple, though. 
Uh, I do have a sad note. Play t- anyone have a tap sound? Do, 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 do. For the first time in history, a U.S. woman has run faster than Jonathan Galt's 5,000 meter PR. John, let's just take you for example. What's your 5,000 PR? 1425. And what's your 1500 meter PR? 356. Oh, so. Well, I'm, I maintain, well, I ran that at the end of my junior year when I was not in. 1425 shape it was sort of i had missed regionals and it was my so what do you think you could have run for 1500 i mean not that i think maybe somewhere 352 353 well there you go shelby i don't know i'm not going to give myself a ton of did you ask about jager at least like it didn't even occur to me really we asked about (sighs) center but we didn't ask about jager but not that not about their dating life that's good john so john didn't ask about the dating life or jager's raising hmm That'll be coming up in a few weeks. Wait, we do have a Centro update we can give. She said Centro's just, she didn't want to speak too many words for him. Um, but she, since she said his, his He's banged up. He's training banged camp up. didn't go that well. Yeah, his training camp didn't go well. Why do we think Jager's in great shape, Robert? He ran 13-14 for 5K. I mean, he's, he's run faster, but he's in decent shape. Well, he's in decent shape now, but there's nothing to worry about. So if he's in 13, 15 shape now, train for two months to try to break eight. Yeah, but to me, 13, Jager's a 13 flat guy. I mean, it's best, essentially. I mean, what's his PR? But he almost won a Diamond League 5,000 meters. So to me, if he's in 13, 14 shape, maybe he's you know still recovering from the year off. So I think for him, if he were going to target a sub eight, it would probably be at least a month from now. Are they afraid of steeple because it'll hurt his foot? I would be if the, I mean if he's he seems to be healthy, but if he's not 100 percent healed, you know that's a lot of landing. Who knows how much barrier was? Y'all heard done. my cake. I, I'd be. I love Jerry, but that's a concern I would have, given that he had a very serious foot injury last year. Jager, get your base up this year and get a new coach for next year. You need a new, new stimulus, buddy. Robert, this leaving Jerry Schumacher idea for Jager, I just don't. You you think that leaving here's the whole the only thing that matters is being able to outkick Conceslus Caprudo. You really think leaving Jerry is just going to solve this problem? I don't understand this theory of yours. Caprudo's probably joking around hurt too, so don't worry about it. So I guess John's all on board of the BTC people never racing, even in an off year. I want to see them race more, but like, I, what you want, Robert? What do you mean never racing? Like they're the actual people, only people actually racing and putting on stuff for people, like. No one else is doing, I mean, okay, fine, the Hoka NAZ guys are doing some certain things, but, like, these guys twice now have put on a meet. So they've actually decided, hey, we're going to kind of go through and do a season. They're not going to Europe or anything, but they're actually just broke an American record. And sure, it's an intra-squad race. It'd be better if the NOP was there racing them as well. Zombie NOP. COVID right now, this is as good as it gets, man. Well, no, yeah, I, I praise him for racing, but I'm saying if, I, if, if I'm in that American shape, I would want to see what I could do at other distances. I would like to see one or two other races. Apparently, we may see that. So let's just, that's all I'm saying is, hey, this is good. You know, that, that, that's the most amazing thing about these Kenyans is, do you guys realize how much Gab and, and uh, Daniel Coleman and Bakile would race in the prime? Those guys would do five or six high, high quality races per year. So, yes, they probably could have run faster if they just did one. But I would like to see it if any chance. If we're not worried about burning out or overpeaking or something, it would be this year. That's all I'm saying. Anyways, John, I know you don't like us talking about your dating life, but the podcasters, just the listeners keep demanding it. We actually had a woman sign up for the podcast for the summer training program. It's not too late, folks. Let's run.com slash coaching. Let's run.com slash coaching. 
all we have superstars from the high school level. We have six-year-olds trying to make six minutes in the mile. We can give you a 12-week base that's going to get you amazing shape. I can even do a hybrid plan, etc. But John, here we go. Walden, look at John's face, see how he reacts. By the way, I love the podcast. You guys have become my quarantine buddies, and I feel an extra connection to all of you for a couple reasons. I also have an identical twin, and our birthday is around the same as you guys, July 26th. Well, and I are July 24th. Number two, after listening to the podcast for several weeks, I kept thinking that the name Jonathan Galt sounded very familiar, and not just from Ayn Rand. And then after a bit of Googling, I realized that I went to the same high school as John. I think it's even possible that we raced the same town 5K years back in Bedford Day. My sister and I were a few years ahead of him, so he probably doesn't know us, but seeing he's a track nerd, maybe he saw my sister's name on the record board since she held the school record in the blank event for many years. I don't want to, I don't want to out this person, John. Well, now I'm, I need to know the names because as a fellow Bedford High School record holder, I, I did study that record board back in high school. Please tell John that the single ladies of Bedford need more updates on his dating life on the podcast. Give the fans what they want, John. Ha ha. I'm sure he'll love that. John. And then she followed up with, if you're looking for more fodder to embarrass John, my mother was a phys ed teacher and carefully followed all of the local high school sports. She would send me newspapers, clippings in the mail while I was in college. So that's how I would have heard about John. My mother likely sent me a newspaper clipping from the Bedford Minutemen about the running phenom who had arrived from the UK to shake up the dual county league running scene. If only I had known that he would go on to be a star at letsrun.com. Maybe I would have saved those clippings. John, were you like a big star in the local paper? Like, do they do features on you from coming from Britain and stuff? No, nothing about like my English background. I mean, it's a local paper. We we weren't a big school. I was the best athlete in the school. So I got it. They'd write a little bit about my running, but I wasn't like some f- famous star or anything. Would they slur John, you know, British American? British born. <laughs> yeah, an import. Uh, I mean, I don't think they. I don't think most people knew it, but or at least they they didn't mention it in the articles. Now, actually, Robert, you know, normally I'm complain about your uh, detours into my personal life, but this is actually pretty funny because Be- Bedford's just a small town, and no one, no one there outside my circle of friends and even within it really seemed to care about running. So I'm just shocked that anyone you know would have would have remembered give my you some name. Advice. You're 29, right? So she used the term track nerd. And I remember a woman told me in my late 20s, she's like, why do track guys try to be studs? Just embrace the fact that you're nerds. Women love nerds. I think. Who said I was trying to be a stud? I think most guys are. And John, you know, it it can be tough. I understand like in your 20s, you're you're suffering a little bit. Like, I don't want to get too much into details, but you know, your hair is thinning out like Alan Webb was at this age, but you don't have Alan Webb's bank account. So that can be a little tough to attract the women. So when did, when did you get married, Robert? Well, I got married at uh, 39. So I'm saying you got plenty of time. I'm saying the women are going to embrace your intellectual intellectualness in your thirties. All right, guys, I think we need to wrap this up and go into what is an excellent interview we have with Molly Seidel, who is the, I guess, future Olympian is how you would term it. But she talks about what she's been up to. She's racing this weekend, her first 10K, her her first track race since 2018. It was a really interesting interview we had with her, what it's like running with a mask in Boston. So can we get to that? All right, now I'm joined by Molly Seidel. She's a four-time NCAA champion at the University of Notre Dame. She finished second at the 2020 U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials in a marathon debut. Molly, thanks for uh, joining us this afternoon. 
No, thanks for having me. Um, so let me, it's been ooh, a little over four months now since uh, the Olympic marathon trials. Well, it feels a lot different right now. What have you been up to since then? Really kind of just trying to train as best I can and get through the, the COVID crisis. But uh, I think it's been a little bit difficult just because there is so much uncertainty about when races are going to happen, um, kind of even just the parameters of being able to train here um, in Boston where it was pretty bad for a while. So we're kind of just like rolling with it. But training has been going, frankly, pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you go out running, like do you wear a mask? Do you- Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your routine when you're out on a run around here? Yeah, so we have to have masks on every run, basically in Boston and all of Massachusetts. It's pretty much required if you're if you can't socially distance within like six feet of people. So kind of the rule of thumb, I think, that most pro runners in town have is that you wear a mask or a bandana, um, pretty much on every single run, and then you can take it down if you're in an area where there's not a lot of people around, but. I get pretty packed along the river, and if you aren't wearing it pretty consistently, you're going to get yelled at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, have you had anyone yell at you, or have you been? Oh yes, right? that's kind of like an every every run thing. Everybody's kind of got a different opinion. It's like if you're not wearing it fully over your nose, you'll get yelled at. If you're talking while you pass people, even if you're wearing a mask, sometimes they'll yell at you. So. Yeah, it can be a little bit frustrating sometimes, but I feel like we're everybody out here is just trying to do their best. And and obviously, like if I'm out walking or like going into a store, I'll wear it full time. It's just really difficult, especially with the heat and the humidity, to be breathing through a mask the entire time. So I'll I'll be doing the constant up and down. Yeah, no, I know I've been doing the same thing, so uh, I I know what you mean. Um, so coming out of the trials, I mean, I feel like you seem to get the most attention of pretty much anyone who competed there, given that it was your debut. And what was it like for you being thrust into the national spotlight like that? Um, it was definitely strange. Um, I really didn't expect a lot of that just because, like, coming in, I definitely wasn't one of the larger names uh, being talked about. And so it was kind of like zero to 100 really, really fast. And then obviously like it was this kind of like clickbaity story that a lot of people just jumped on of like, Oh my God, it's her first time. And a lot of people kind of misconstrued that as like, Oh, she literally hasn't run before. Like, this is so crazy. Kind of not fully understanding what professional running is. So I think it was kind of just like this perfect storm of like all these different things of like, just to kind of make the story maybe bigger than it needed to be. Um, and like truthfully, it was like it was kind of a lot. I think there's so many emotions going on at the trials. It was such a really surprising thing for me, and so just trying to process that while also having all of this media attention. Um, and then obviously, COVID hit right afterwards in the postponement. So then it was like this extra media blitz of like, oh, what's your reaction to the postponement? Like, speak out about it, all this stuff. And so it's I. I'm kind of appreciating the fact that like now I can kind of like get back to my normal life and just back to training and, and yeah, there's media and stuff now, but it's so, so, so much less than it was. Yeah. So did you, I mean, did you, you said that some people thought, you know, this was your first marathon. They got that misconception. Was that media people? Was that just regular people? Like who told you that? It was generally. Yeah. I think, I don't know if, like with how some of the articles and whatnot were written that it made it clear that I was a professional runner. And so when, when they write, Oh, it's her first marathon. And then people are just assuming like, Oh, she like 
just decided to hop in this thing and like I, because it was literally on my flight home from Atlanta. So like going or not flight home, flying from Atlanta to Denver. The stewardesses on the plane, they had knew, they knew what happened. They were really excited, but they were like, wait, so did you like train and compete before this? So it was like, yes, like I'm a professional runner. This is like how I make my living. I ran all through college. And they're like, oh, we like the, the New York Times article made it sound like you kind of just picked this up on a whim. Because everybody was focusing on the, like, the, oh, she's a barista, and she just decided to start running, which is not the story. It's, like, that's a side job that I use to, like, help, like, make ends meet or, like, pay pay rent in Boston. But I'm a fully paid professional runner, and I think that what maybe wasn't conveyed super well in that media blitz post-trials. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, there's been – there's also been some criticism about this that – you received, you know, a lot of outsized comp- attention compared to the two other women who made the team, both of whom are Kenyan American. Do you think that was the case, and what do you think that criticism was fair at all? Mm-hmm. I think there definitely is a valid point to be made that, yeah, I think there were some people that probably focused more on the fact that I'm a, a white girl born in the Midwest, and that is kind of like, I don't know, I think it might be in some people's opinion, like, oh, it's easier to package that as, like, this, like, cut-and-dry media story rather than, especially at the point that we were in the country, um, being able to say, like, okay, these are two, like, like, like American immigrants that have worked so hard to get their citizenship, but they weren't born here. And I think a lot of people, like, I don't know, like, it's it's horrible that people say that and think that. And I 100% don't support it. And I've said that online that, like, it's not right for people to be saying, like, oh, I'm, like, the quote-unquote, like, American-born one. And, like, that's not correct. And that's not right to be saying. Sorry, I don't want this to, like, I'm trying to, like, phrase this correctly because, like, I feel pretty strongly about this that, like, I I do think that people, like, passed over Alphine and Sally because of that, especially leading into the trials. I think like the criticism that the Alphine had of the presentation, like I don't think NBC did a great job of covering the trials. They frankly, all three of us, like one, like for one, there was a reason they didn't talk about me, like in the, in the broadcast, like I was a nobody coming in. Ellie and Alphine were like really big names coming into that race. They should have been talked about. And I think because they aren't seen as like quote unquote American born people like keep saying, Oh, they're Kenyan born, but it's like, no, they're Americans. They, they deserve to be talked about. They deserve to have their accomplishments like put there on the broadcast. We're out there for two and a half hours. You can mention them in the broadcast. Like I think it was that like, there's a huge problem with that. And I hope that they address it and, or I hope that the media addresses it. And I mean, mm-hmm. all three of us are going to be racing in a year from now in Tokyo. So I hope they're they're planning and getting their stories ready and are ready to talk about all of Sally's and Alphine's accomplishments in that broadcast. Yeah. And since the trials, where have you been training? I've been in Boston and Wisconsin, back and forth. Um, so I I live and train here in Boston. Um, with my sister and then my family's from in Wisconsin. So we went back for a couple weeks um, during the worst of it when Boston was like fully shut down. Um, we just went back for the 4th of July, um, but mostly here in Boston. Mm-hmm. And then this weekend you're racing, you know, a 10K at the Movement Race Series in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. 
what kind of time are you shooting for? This is your first 10K in two years, I believe. <laughs> God, that's horrifying when you say it like that. Um, yeah, it's my first track 10K in two years. Um, the plan right now is to um, – our pacer, Ashlyn Cuff, is going to go out in about, like, 16 minutes through, like – 16 minute pace through 5k so shooting for around 32 minutes obviously will adjust based on the heat and what people are willing to run and hoping to run but now that we can hit olympic trials qualifying times that's going to be kind of the big goal is to get as many people on that race to qualifying times for next year now yeah would you run the 10k at the olympic trials if you qualified yeah that's the plan that was the plan for this spring we had been uh, we were going to go out to Peyton Jordan and, and race there and then hopefully onto the trials, not necessarily with the goal of making the team in the 10K, um, just because, one, it's so competitive, and two, I've already, like, the marathon's going to be my main one. Um, but it's a really cool experience. I've never gotten to run the Olympic track trials, and so I just feel like that's a very, very exciting thing to get to do. Absolutely. I mean, if you, let's say, you know, best-case scenario, you do – finish in the top three and make the team would you ever entertain running both at the olympics not not around i feel like right now i'm still kind of trying to get my um i don't know get right now the big goal especially with training is i've just had so many interruptions last couple years with injuries so the big thing we don't want to get too greedy and i think that's probably getting a little bit greedy we have to be kind of careful and and make sure that we're not overdoing it and like trying to just stay healthy going into this race. So I, at the very least this time around, if I knock on wood, we're like lucky enough to be able to make two, it would just be the marathon for me. Give the spot to someone else. Yeah. Um, and part of this race, these races this weekend, you guys are going to be raising money for good sports, which is a charity that provides sports access to low income children. Uh, what appealed to you about that that organization? How did you come across them? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of what's going on right now with Black Lives Matter and kind of this more like awareness of racial justice is that realizing like how I like I guess how unequal the playing field is for uh, a lot of kids trying to get into sports. Like running is straight up a super white sport. Like. I grew up in an area where, like, I don't know, pretty much everybody I saw running cross-country was white. And I think being able to increase access for sports, whether it's running, whether it's football, soccer, lacrosse, like, all this stuff, like, being able to make sure that kids who aren't necessarily, like, have the financial resources to play a lot of different sports, like, being able to give them access to that is super important. And so when we came across Good Sports, which is based out of here in Boston, but they work nationally to provide these resources so that kids can play whatever sport they want to. And we just saw that as, like, a really cool way that our, like, what we're doing in running can maybe give back to help kids get access that they wouldn't necessarily have. I mean, just, heck, getting kids, like, nice running shoes, like, that's a huge thing. That can make a huge difference. Or, like, a pair of spikes for a kid who's just starting out. Like that's the kind of stuff that I don't know could really change someone, like whether they stay in the sport or not and whether they can come all the way up here. So hopefully increasing a little bit of diversity in the sport. Mm-hmm. And how can people contribute to this? So we're going to be streaming the race on Sidious and uh, through that, there's going to be links to a GoFundMe um, that they can go and donate. Um, another part of it is that as, because it's a sanctioned race and us pros are able to um, 
potentially earn bonus money off of it. Um, a lot of us are committing, like if we if we hit a race bonus in here, that we're going to donate a portion of that back, and then hopefully people watching will try and match our donations that we've given um, through this. So yeah, just trying to do a little bit of good with good with running more than just going in circles. Yeah, and is that that would be bonuses based on sort of your shoe contracts rather than the like any prize money associated with the event. Yeah, there's no there's no prize money we're giving out. It's, mm-hmm. This is John and I putting the, this meet together. It's been pretty um just just trying to put on a meet in the age of COVID is already enough. So uh, a lot of the people doing this, like pretty much everybody in this race, is like them coming was a big part of it, knowing that it is for charity and that we're raising money for it. And that was like the coolest thing of having all of these pros be like, Hey, like I'm really excited to be a part of like a charity track meet. Um, and they like, so many people were like really willing when we were like, Hey, like you don't have to like donate a portion of like bonus money you get, but like if you want to, and so many people were like, yes, let's do it. And so that was really cool to get to hear of like people really being excited to give back. For sure. Yeah, what's the what's been the biggest challenge of trying to put this meet together? COVID. Um, the the having to get two COVID tests is really really difficult. Um, it's like pretty strict sanctioning. Obviously, we want to put on as safe of a track meet as we can, um, and make sure that people feel comfortable coming here and that we're not putting anyone in danger. So limiting spectators, making sure everyone's getting COVID testing, not have, only having a certain number of people on the track at one time disinfecting things so it's going to be a challenge but i'm i'm hoping at least from what we've seen with like what nike is doing what the hoka um and az elite team did that like we can put on track meets safely in the age of covid yeah because we before we started uh recording here you mentioned that you would try to go get a covid test today in mm-hmm. boston and the line it was the wait was like two or two and a half hours so now you're gonna have to go somewhere else this afternoon this was this was your first test you need to take of the two is that right yeah yeah so it's basically it's very difficult the limited number of testing but luckily in massachusetts they have free covid testing for any resident of the state um so dana giordano who's doing the 1500 um, i'm going to be driving with her up to chelsea which is like about a half hour north of the city uh later this afternoon so hoping that it'll be a little bit a uh, little bit shorter of a wait um but yeah it's just it's pretty difficult finding finding spots and i think that's probably been the biggest um yeah the biggest like challenge for most people competing in in the race so i think a lot of people will be getting their tests done here in massachusetts once they get in yeah what what was the first location you tried and there was the long line today uh that was the tufts medical center right downtown um it's just like an open walk-in COVID testing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then looking ahead, you know, past this weekend, uh, I spoke to your coach, John Green, a few days ago, and he mentioned, you know, you'd like to run a full marathon. But, you know, we're sitting here just a few hours ago, Chicago announced that that race is canceled for this year. We're down mm-hmm. to one major marathon that hasn't been canceled yet, which is which is London, and there might be a few other smaller ones. But, I mean, I guess how optimistic are you that you can run a marathon or race marathon this fall? And what are your options at this point? (laughs) I'm very optimistic that I can race a marathon. It's just whether or not it's going to be a sanctioned race. Um, Regardless of whether there's a race going on or not, we're going to do something, whether that has to be a time trial. Luckily, there's a lot of really good runners here in Boston. So 
uh, maybe we can find, find a group of people to go out and, and do one. But yeah, it's, I guess the, the big thing with like the, the, the Olympics being postponed is that we, we want to get in experience before going to, to Tokyo and just like, whether that's with fueling, just learning how to race a faster course. Like obviously the course in Sporo is going to be very different from the one in, we saw in Atlanta. So yeah, just getting a little bit more experience, getting through another marathon training block. So that's, what's important here. It's less about the, Oh, I want to go race another major, which at this point that's going to be, <laughs> if one goes off and if they let Americans in, it's going to be very different from a typical major anyway. So it's like, Right now, we're we're going through this as kind of a trial run and a practice run, trying to get experience because I am wildly inexperienced at the marathon. So, yeah, I think it's just kind of trying to like keep our keep our expectations low and or not low, but I don't know. So many things have had to change around in COVID, and it seems almost silly to be complaining. Oh, I can't like run a real marathon in the fall when so many other things are going on. So, you know, we just kind of roll with it, like like everything else going on right now. Yeah. But, I mean, I feel like you talk to any runner, even season marathon is like a year ago, the idea of – you're essentially proposing the idea of time trialing a marathon, which is mm-hmm. – that sounds just sort of insane, you know, what a, what a year ago. Like, are you – are you excited by that? Are you like, do you think this sucks? Like, are you cool with doing the time trial marathon? If that's what it comes to. Yeah. I mean, it's like, obviously it's not like the ideal situation. Like nobody dreams of having to go time trial a marathon, but I think it's kind of like nobody ever dreamed that the world would be in the kind of situation that we are in right now. And if anything, like if I can like get through a marathon build up healthy and we can get to the point where Maybe there isn't a race that I can do, but I'm in a situation where I have people who are willing to help me run a marathon. Hell, maybe we get like, I don't know. Now we've, John and I have been able to like put on this track meet. Maybe we can put on a low key marathon as well and like bring people out for that. But yeah, it's kind of like we're, we're making do with the situation that we have. Yes. So many things about what's going on right now sucks, but it's just kind of the world that we live in and there's no real use like whining about it it's just like this is the situation we're in make do with it like i could be crying and whining that the olympics are postponed but it's like i mean that's just what it is like what are you how are you going to make the most of it now so that's an admirable attitude for sure um (laughs) when you think what do you think you need to work on still as a marathoner (laughs) so many things um i really messed up my marathon fueling at the trials i didn't really practice it going or like I practiced it a little bit, but I wasn't sure whether or not I'd have great access to bottles because I was seated so far back. Um, so I didn't practice a whole lot. And then on the day of the race, um, I was taking probably about half of the amount of carbs that I needed to. Um, and so that's something that we're definitely working on. And luckily now I'm sponsored by Morton. And so I'm actually working with them right now to kind of figure out a a more detailed marathon fueling plan that's a, definitely a little bit more like scientific rather than just like this seems like enough. Um, so that's a really, really big thing and something I've like been actively practicing. Um, likewise, just with how much faster the course is going to be in Japan, like the Atlanta course was such a difficult, like an unusually difficult hilly course that I think really favored the kind of runner that I am. Like I love hills and 
we definitely now need to work on like, okay, how do we prepare for a very fast flat marathon? That's going to be a lot of loops and like, I don't know. It's a, it's almost like a totally different ball game that we're going into here. So that'll be kind of just shifting the the type of workouts that we're doing. So yeah, it'll do. And then just like getting comfortable with the distance still like 26.2 miles is still like, I've only run that far once in my life. So yeah, just kind of getting, getting used to that volume of training. Mm-hmm. Uh, and before I let you go, Molly, I mean, when you were messaging me to set this up, you sort of mentioned in joking this thread about quote-unquote tumultuous affair between you and John and your <laughs> sister. You said it was the best laugh you've had in weeks. And this stems from a, you know, let's message board thread. And I wanted to ask about this because we do get all sorts of rumors on the message board. And I was just curious as an athlete, like, how would you want us to handle something like that when it pops up? It's so I'm divided. Like I, I will just say straight out. I think the let's run message boards can not be the most positive dialogue in the sport. Um, I think it can kind of devolve sometimes. And especially with these like rumors that people can just post anything. That's just like, frankly, pretty ridiculous. And I, I think it was right. Like taking that message board down. I almost like, part of me almost kind of wishes I'd seen like where that went and like <laughs> just like the absolute like spiral that would have ended up being. But I think like when it comes to like when it comes to message boards that are just like straight up super negative derogatory, like there was one I had seen one that somebody had posted about Alphine when everything was going on um, that was just horrible. And like that is just absolute garbage and needs to be taken down and stuff about like eating disorders when people are like, I don't know, really like harshing on people. And it's some dude in his basement just writing about stuff that he doesn't know anything about that stuff needs to be taken down. I think there can be positive dialogue, but it needs to be managed in a way that promotes that. Um, I think if it's just anonymous people like shooting off completely random rumors and like, I don't know. I I think people people should be able to say what they want, but at the same time, like, have enough decorum to not just be, like, writing random shit online. Mm-hmm. Not to, not to like, not to berate you guys too much. Like, I think Let's Run does a lot of good stuff. I love your guys' articles. I love, like, the fact that there is, like, a legit place to go and, like, look up running news. Like, that's always kind of the first place that I'm going to look up, like, if a race result happened or like to find stuff because it's all there. But I think sometimes it can be not the most positive messaging. And especially for like younger people in the sport, if they're seeing that kind of just like, frankly, some of the stuff on the message boards can just be like people just trashing other people. And that's not what we need. Yeah, no, I mean, that's why I asked you about it. I'm not like, I know that we've had some issues and we, we try to correct them, but that's why I sort mm-hmm. of wanted your input on it because I do think it's something we want to work to improve and we don't we don't just want to ignore people. We want to have a dialogue and constructive criticism. So I do appreciate your thoughts on that, Molly. Yeah, no, and I think that's a yeah, I am I guess I wish there were a better way without like coming across as like oh like like people just say whatever they want. Like I do appreciate that there's like a dialogue and like I mean I'm I'm kinda glad that that thread was taken down. But like yeah, like it I don't know. There's like opportunity to be like, no, like I'm not dating John. Like this is like a coach athlete relationship. He's my best friend, but like it doesn't need to be like that. I think there is like 
an assumption that everybody is like the same way or whatnot. And it's like, no, like we can like have dialogues and stuff and talk about it. And like, maybe that opens up a dialogue of like, like what is an appropriate like coach athlete relationship or whatnot. And like, I don't know. Yeah. I just wish there was a better way to like create positive dialogue. I think you guys are doing a great job of like, yeah, monitoring it to a degree. All right. Well, yeah, I appreciate that Molly. And uh, Mm -hmm. I think that's everything I wanted to cover. Anything else you wanted to bring up about the race, about, you know, your full plans, anything like that? No, I think that's about it. I just, I, I don't want to like miss any of the stuff that we talked about with like Alphine and Sally. Um, that whole thing, I know it's like a really touchy subject right now. And so like, yeah, I just don't want people to jump down my throats if I say like the wrong thing or whatnot. Like I fully support them and everything they're doing. I think they should get more press. I just get so worried about speaking out too much because I got like lambasted. Like that was a really not super fun week. And I'm just like, if you guys are okay with just like, I don't know, like (laughs) you don't need to like, yeah, I just don't know. I'm just kind of, <laughs> I keep getting shit on for it. <laughs> and like, I'm trying my best here. No, I mean, honestly, I think what you said, um, I thought what you said today was, was great. And I, I don't mm-hmm. think that, I don't think anyone could, you know, if we end up publishing those comments or something, I don't think anyone would be like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, she's an asshole. I think like you understand <laughs> the situation. It's not like you were out there clamoring for any of this. It just sort of happened. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I, I think what you, what you said was a, you know, measured, um, thoughtful response. Cool. No, thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate it. But, yeah, um, if you think of anything else that you need, just shoot me a call again. Like, I'll be around. Um, but, yeah, it was great getting to talk to you. Hey, yeah, you too, Molly. And, uh, you know, best of luck. Hopefully you get a big PR of the meet this weekend. Ah, thanks so much. All right. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Bye.